The Apprenticeship of Giuseppe Lupo, written by Yusuf L. Deeb, narrated by Jason Melnichuk. Intro Part 3 A Secret Shared with Julia. We now reach a stage in this novel where you might be asking the same question that I always hear whenever I recount Giuseppe Lupo's story Was Gio a real life person? To which I usually reply, Is the sky blue? So, to put you at ease, dear reader, here is my oath. I, Yusuf El Deeb, the author of this novel, solemnly affirm that the story herein, given by me, shall be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and I swear that Giuseppe Lupo is a real person in my life. There. Now then, the task of this novel is to do the near impossible, Describe Gio completely for you, to retell his rich and colorful story. But honestly, no matter what I say, I can only offer a few two-dimensional aspects of his personality. It's a challenging task, this, to tell someone's story. Imagine buying a frame for a person's portrait, but every time you try to fit the picture, you find that the frame is too small. We make mental models of the people we love and care about. However, in reality, it would take many frames and of various sizes and designs. We would need to fill up a very large wall with many distinct but different portraits for just one single person. In this case here, the frames are chapters of a book. This humble effort. Let's move on to the task at hand. His story and the sea change impact he had on my life when I was only 18 or 19 years old. I ought to explain my situation at the time so that you can better see Geo through my younger eyes. By younger, I mean younger than they are now. These days I have trouble distinguishing the D's and O's on my keyboard, let alone read my own writing from these worn old notes that were written by me decades ago. Back then, it was the age of bell-bottom trousers and afro haircuts, it was the tail end of the hippie generation and its belief in flower power and the dawn of the age of Aquarius. I am speaking here of 1974. We are in the picturesque city of Victoria, known as the town for newlyweds and nearly deads on the extreme west coast of Canada on Vancouver Island. Interestingly enough, this large island is where the hippies remained when they slowly disappeared everywhere else. Here they built idyllic mountain log houses where they live to this day, choosing a life of simplicity, close to the land, away from the ugly sides of civilization. Funny to now think that my family had only landed in Canada as immigrants six years earlier, when I only knew a handful of English words. Only two words, actually. Hello and good morning. But by then, I was at the local university enrolled in studying fine arts and film, and, as relates to Giuseppe Lupo's story, creative writing. The assignments I wrote for those classes are the beef of this book. The English language had quickly become my first language, and Arabic receded into the shadows. They say that children are like sponges, and I say this, Heck yeah! I learned this new language very quickly from two sources, television shows, and top 40 song lyrics. So to any parents reading this, I say, 
let your children watch television, and listen and learn song lyrics. They're a super fast track method to not only to learn the languages of a land, but to quickly grasp those funny, crazy idioms that wouldn't make any sense otherwise. So, dear parents everywhere, I say this. Break a leg. I remember walking over to Gio's house after my university classes. I still had wet paint on my hands, or perhaps they were covered in charcoal from sketching a live model. On my way to Gio's house, I passed the Melodic Seagull, which was a small record store. I recall how they always had a poster of the latest album in the shop window. This was in the days of vinyl LPs, long playing records for you young ones. This was an age where you only heard music on the radio or at the local record store. I would often saunter in to look at album cover art and listen to the music. Hanging out, as we called it. One day, the store window was filled with an oversized poster of a new album with a disheveled man on the cover. It was that month's new artist. The sign blared, Introducing, all the way from Jamaica, Bob Marley. I remember clearly the album Natty Dread, which, as I soon learned, was Jamaican slang. Natty means natural, and dread is short for dreadlocks. Since I had to pass the shop every time I went to Geo's, I heard the songs over and over, and the music mesmerized me with these words. Good friends we have. Oh, good friends we've lost along the way. In this great future, you can't forget your past, so dry your tears, I say. No woman, no cry. A Jamaican friend of mine laughed when he heard me interpret no woman, no cry as if there is no woman in our life, we don't cry, when it simply means woman, don't cry, a message of strength and empowerment to women everywhere. The song has since become a classic, perhaps an anthem. So here I was, a naive immigrant kid, learning creative writing for film, and this was a small vignette of me. However, I don't wish to linger here. After all, this is not my story. It's Geo's book, and so we must not dally. Now it's time for another essay assignment from my old notebooks. We visit Geo once a week, after class. The path to his house is often difficult to navigate. To get to the basement, one must cross two large puddles that are often refilled by the frequent Victoria rainfall. But it's Geo's house and its homework for class, so I merrily skip across these rainwaters. Today I land on some wet, slippery autumn leaves. My foot slides across and I land ass first on the ground. I bang against the door and my shoulder bag flies and drops in the water, scatters open and my pens, brushes and rolling tobacco bounce and come to rest in the puddles disturbing the psychedelic gasoline-colored water. From behind the door, I hear loud laughter and Geo chuckling. Ha! Must be Bakshish. Usually, when we arrive at his basement, I and the other two students, that is, his daughter Julia is also there. She would often join in and sit behind us to listen to his stories. Sometimes it was his wife who sat in. Why were they always there listening? Were they hearing these stories for the first time? That question was answered today when I fell into the muddy puddle. The basement door opens, and there is Julia. She sees me and surveys the scene. 
mud and water all over me, and my things scattered across the entrance. She then looks at me, tries to smile, but I see her hide a wish to burst out laughing. She rushes over to help me collect my things. Through the slightly open door, I spy Geo and my colleagues laughing, and this makes me angry, but more than angry, embarrassed. Julia notices. Never mind, let me help you, she says to me softly. I smile and look down, flushed red. She kneels down to help me collect my things. I shoot up as quickly as I can, trying to look fit and unaffected. This means that I then step on more wet leaves and slip again, falling into a mud puddle nearer to her, thereby splashing her as well. She now has muddy clumps and water splashed across her clothes, red hair and face. Our eyes are now inches apart. As if unaffected by the double slip, I whisper to her, trying to change the subject. Julia, why do you or your mom always sit in to listen to your dad's stories? You must have heard them a million times. Why do you ask? Don't you want me to be there? She answers softly, coyly, with a small tilt of her head, surprising me. This is the moment that I recall and remember as the instant that I first saw Julia. This is the moment of not only noticing that she was even more attractive than I had previously thought, but it was the moment that she had first paid attention to me, talked to me, and was perhaps interested in me. Oh, no, uh, no, I was just wondering, you know. With the next word she utters, she absolutely surprises me. It reveals further dimensions to Julia beyond her looks, beyond her young age. She is sixteen at the time, and this one word gives me a peek into the depth of her mind. Calcification, she says. From beyond this intimacy, our faces being so close, I hear Gio's voice. Come on, Bakshish. With his voice, I feel pressure, as if this new, beautiful window into knowing Julia was about to close shut forever. But she peers into my eyes and whispers. He knows that every time he tells his stories, he is accessing his memory, and he feels that every time he does that, a teeny weeny change occurs to that memory, you know? She pauses and looks over my shoulder to the door and Geo beyond it. We have to go. Listen. It's like a tribal legend being passed from one generation to another, like an oral history. My mom and I wish to preserve his wonderful story, so that's why we listen in. We wish to keep these stories alive in our own memories, and he encourages this. He knows that each small change in the story is not a bad thing. He says, Changes are remembrances of things I might have forgotten in earlier versions. It avoids what he calls calcification of his memory. She is lost in thought for a brief moment. Then she shrugs and smiles at me with what must be the smallest yet sweetest smile I had ever seen. It made me feel like she and I are now colluding with a deep and most holy secret. Now it made more sense why our teacher, Hans, wanted us to record Geo's stories. Recreate them in your own words, through your own eyes, with your own pens, he had said. She continues, Calcification, 
I know, I had to look it up. I don't know how he comes up with these words. I mean, what Italian immigrant to Canada comes up with words like calcification, right, eh? We stand up, and as we head the short distance to the basement door, she holds my arm to ensure I don't slip again. Bakshish? You know what? She continues. I look at her. Sorry about the mud and water and stuff. What? I reply. Sorry. Sorry. You're such a cretino. She winks at me, further adding to the feeling of a shared intimacy. It was as if the mud and water that now covered us both was like a baptism that sealed this newfound intimacy. One day, I might just tell you great details that he might have left out or missed, okay? In my notebooks I read, If you hate your guru, then he or she must be doing a good job. I remember now. It didn't take long for me to hate Geo. Oh, and Hans, our creative writing teacher. Next, I will tell you of this hate. 